Well, hey guys, we are here for Golgotha session two. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 27 tonight, um, and we'll be in verse one, the very first one in chapter 27. Uh, if you were with us last week at the Loft Live, we started the series looking at how people respond to the death of Jesus. Um, Golgotha is the, the place of the skull. It's the hill that Jesus is, goes to die on, um, where the cross is, the whole crucifixion scene. And so we're taking the time to go, man, how do people respond to that? And how should we respond to it? Um, and, and where can we maybe find ourselves even in the midst of the story? And so last week, we looked at the guards who are um, basically gambling over Jesus's clothes to see who's going to get to take them home and begin to talk about, man, what does it look like to only want the things associated with Jesus, but to not really want Jesus who is king? This week, we're looking at one of the disciples and how he responds to the cross um, it's probably one of the darker stories in scripture, but it's going to have a lot to teach us about how we handle our own sin and our own guilt. And I'm reminded of a time uh, when I was probably in like late middle school, early high school. I was in youth ministry. Um, growing up, I had an older brother and a younger sister. And my older brother, um, he's quite a bit older than me, but he was always in trouble, always grounded, um, kind of the black sheep of the family, if you will. And then my little sister... Um, was coming up and she was just getting into youth ministry and she was going to begin to explore um, camp world. We were getting into summer stuff. It was kind of that time of the year. Now, my house is maybe a lot like your house. There are things like junk drawers and everything has a specific place that belongs. Uh, and there's always something that is always going missing, right? It's never in the drawer that it's supposed to be in. And that makes your parents lose their minds, I'm sure. For us, it was always the scissors, right? Scissors are just like the most regularly used item in your house that you would never think about. And so because they were always missing, because we were always using them as kids that were in school, doing projects, needing them in the kitchen for cooking or like whatever it is, we had one pair of scissors that was really doing the work for it all. They would always go missing and it drove my mom mad. And so one day, just probably having a bad day for who even knows what as parents, there's always something going on with us. Uh, and she goes to the scissors drawer and the pair of scissors aren't there. And so she starts, who, who moved the scissors? Who's moved, where have the scissors gone? And we're just like, just like you, right? The typical mom losing her mind. Mom, we don't know where the scissors is. We didn't, we didn't misplace them on purpose. We didn't do anything with them. So begins an all out hunt, like a rescue mission for this pair of scissors. Everyone drop what you're doing. We're looking through the house for this stupid pair of scissors. So we start looking around. Now at the time, you walk around your house, you've maybe got your own laptops or iPads, you've got your, your phones, which are basically just handheld computers. Uh, but in our house at the time, we just had a desktop computer. That was the one computer that we used. It's where all the schoolwork got done, um, all of like the AOL instant chat was being done, like everything was being done on this one computer. And there I realized about halfway through looking, oh no, I think I might have used the scissors and I think I might have left them in the desk drawer um, in kind of our game room area of the house. So I go over uh, to this desk and I open up a drawer and lo and behold, there are the scissors. Now I freak out because I accidentally left them there, but I made a big deal out of, man, I can't find these scissors. I don't know where they've been. And I'm afraid that if I take these scissors, um, and then I bring them back and go, hey, I found them. They're not going to believe that I didn't like accidentally do this, right? Or like that I purposefully put them there and maybe lied earlier. So I start to panic. And so my brilliant like middle school mind, what I do is I pull the scissors out of that drawer. And then I walk back into the kitchen where our assigned scissors drawer was. 
and I place the scissors in there and I just wait because I know, right, just like I do. Once I do like one full sweep of searching, I start going back again and see if I missed any spots. Um, I'm one of those people, like even if we've said that we've looked there, I look again. And so I know that in my house, my parents or whatever, they're gonna go back and eventually they'll go back to the scissors drawer and look again and they'll be there. So we start looking, we're all spread out over the house and all of a sudden I hear from the kitchen that my mom found the scissors in the scissors drawer, but she is even more angry now because she realizes the drawer is only like this big. She didn't miss the scissors before. She realizes that someone has put them there and not been honest about the placement of the scissors. And so they get mad and we just go, oh man, I guess, oh, I guess they were there all along and maybe you just missed them, blah, blah, blah. We kind of go our separate ways. Well, I walk by a room, I hear my parents talking and they're like, somebody is lying to us. Somebody put these there. They won't be honest about it. We've got to punish dishonesty. Then they begin to talk about, it must be uh, my older brother, Lance. It must be Lance. He must have done it. He's always in trouble. He's always lying to us. And so they begin to prepare to dish out punishments until somebody fesses up. Boom, I'm smack dab in the middle of a family meeting. If you're sitting here like, this is the most ridiculous scissors lost story of all time, you would be correct, but this is completely true. So we get in our living room, we're sitting around the couches, my mom and dad then start doling out punishments. We know that someone's lying about the scissors and we don't lie in this family. And so Alyssa, you don't get to go to your very first camp this year. Lance, whatever, I can't even remember what the punishment was at the time. Lane, you're not gonna get to go to this event, this, this, and that. And they just start grounding and taking stuff like crazy. My little sister, who's in like maybe fifth, sixth grade, is just crying, bawling, because she was gonna miss out on her very first camp experience, overnight camp experience, hanging out with friends. I'm not really that sad about being in trouble because I know that I'm the wrong one, but I still don't wanna fess up. And then slowly, just welling up inside of me is this tension, this exhaustion, this guilt, that I know that I did something, but somebody else was taking on my punishment and they didn't do it. And it was my little sister. She was so innocent in the matter. And so as this innocent person was taking on my guilt, it made me feel terrible. And finally I just spoke up and I was like, <gasps> I, I did it, I did it. I put them in the, the desk in the game room and I, they were by the computer and I moved them because I didn't wanna fess up to it. I moved the scissors. Room gets quiet, we get sent to our rooms and my sister gets all of her punishments removed. They go back, they talk with me. They lessen the punishment because I was at least honest in the last minute. And we move on with our lives. And we talk about that because for some of us, um, when we're sitting in Christian world and we're sitting in the church and we're hearing the story of the cross that Jesus, who is God, sent down to be with us as man. He's innocent, he's 100% God, 100% man, he has no sin, goes to the cross to die on the cross, to take the weight of our sin, to pay the price of the consequences of our sins so that we can be in relationship with God. When we hear that story, we don't immediately jump to joy, we first feel guilt of like, oh gosh, man, because of my sin, even my little sin, even my small sin over here, somebody had to die? Somebody innocent over here had to pay the price for my own guilt, and instead of giving us freedom, it makes us feel just more guilt. And we find ourselves in church over and over and over again feeling more and more guilty. And it, it's not because that, you know, we, we've got undealt with sin, it's because we have sin that we have dealt with, but we just can't seem to leave it behind. We can't seem to see the cross in the proper way. We can't seem to understand it in the proper way. And so we just have this immense guilt that our entire uh, relationship is built around the fact that Jesus did have to die and it doesn't make us feel good. And I say that because where we're at in scripture, the way that, that, that this disciple is going to respond to the crucifixion 
um, is totally just wrapped up in guilt because all they can see is the cross because they don't know what's coming. So they can't see it in its proper light. And so tonight we're talking about Judas and Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. Um, he sells, basically sells Jesus out and says, this is where you can find him to the Roman authorities. So that way they can go and arrest him and put him on a fake trial um, so he can be killed. And what Judas realizes, um, and I don't know if at some point he thought, well, they're not really going to kill Jesus, or maybe I won't really feel as bad for this. But at some point, all of the guilt wells up in him and he cannot handle the guilt. And he, he does something that is just completely dire. All of his guilt comes up and it ends up being the end of his life. We read about it in Matthew 27, verse 1, and it says, when daybreak came, this is during the trial. Jesus hasn't even actually gone to the cross yet. This is just during his trial. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, Jesus' betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. The money that they gave him for Jesus, he returns it because he feels so bad about it. He says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. He said, well, what's that to us? They said, see to it yourself. And so he threw the silver into the temple and departed. And then he went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver and said, it's not permitted to put it into the temple treasury since it is blood money. They conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, that field has been called blood field to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, the main portion of that passage that we want to see today is that all of Judas's remorse, all of his guilt welled up inside of him and ended in him taking his own life. Now, I want to make a sidebar here. We're not talking about mental health in this moment and how that can lead to some really dark things and how we need to find help in counseling and therapy in those moments. We're specifically talking about Judas in the midst of his pain and his suffering and his guilt and how he handles it. He cannot seem to escape his guilt. It's uniquely different from Peter, who Peter um, says that he doesn't know Jesus in his guilt does not take his own life, but gets to see the risen Jesus and is restored back into the fold. We have this weird tension in the Judas story that we don't know what would have happened if he would have just stuck around for three more days. We don't know. His guilt got the best of him. He couldn't look to the cross. He couldn't look at the situation and all he could feel was guilt. And some of us feel like that in Christian world. We look at the cross, we look at Jesus, we get to the Friday before Easter and all we see is our own sin or our past sin, even our dealt with sin, and all we feel is guilt and we can't seem to move into the freedom that the cross has to offer. And so in this passage, many of us can begin to see who we are in this passage by looking at Jesus. Now we have the whole story and in that what we need to learn to do is not be like Judas who can only see part and misses out on the whole, but we need to learn to see the whole and let the part reveal what it's meant to reveal. That yes, our sin is deep. It is serious. It does cost the life of the king. It does cost Jesus's life, but he also raises again and he voluntarily gives it over. That the goodness of it is that Jesus, uh, even though he's arrested by Roman authority and he goes to the cross and he goes through a fake trial, at no point can he not fight back. At no point is he too weak to do anything. He is still the God of creation. He voluntarily gives that over. We can see his love in that rather than that, that we have almost condemned him to that with our own sin. He takes that on himself. 
that gives us a little bit more freedom. And then we can walk in that. And then we can see the resurrection and go, yes, it cost us, but he still lives. And so we can feel our guilt even for a moment. We can feel that in our conscience even for a moment. But we don't have to stay there because we do know the rest of the story that Jesus is raised again, lives again, and now walks alongside us and invites us in the relationship with himself and with God because of the whole story. This is one of those moments that sometimes, uh, there are some moments where we would really focus on the part. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week, if you're someone who really struggles with deep guilt, you cannot escape guilt. Let me help you with this. Jesus does not want us to live in our guilt. Jesus does not go to Peter at the end of the, uh, when he comes back and is raised again and say, Peter, remember what you did? Now stay there and feel that pain and feel that hurt. No, he restores Peter back in the relationship. Jesus wants us to feel the weight of our sin. He wants us to learn to hate sin. He does not want us to live in sin. His love does not encourage us to stay there. He does want the cross to help us see that weight, but he also wants to restore us and bring us back into the fold and help us learn what new life means. And so we get the whole. I'm reminded um, of one of my, my favorite musicians and, and artists, and, and he writes this uh, in one of his songs that I love, and it says this, Bless me, Lord, I can't see past the things that I've done. And when I'm home and I'm alone and I'm haunted, I just want to turn up the volume. You are my gospel. Hear from me when there is none. God, help me believe that what you've said is what you've done. It's this idea that sometimes our guilt and how we've really messed up and that the deep depths of our soul make us just want to lock ourselves away in our room, turn up music, and feel, feel like we can just drown out our sin, drown out our guilt, and drown out the darkness. And sometimes we feel that way, and we need to remind ourselves, Jesus, help us believe that what you've said is what you've done. Help us believe that you voluntarily went to the cross, that you took on that sin, and that you didn't stop there. You raised again, and you invited me back into a relationship. You have dealt with the past, you have dealt with the darkness, you have dealt with the brokenness, and you are inviting me to new things. It is when we can see the picture for all that it's worth, that we don't have to live in our guilt and live in that darkness. We can move into light and we can move into freedom. And so tonight, as you're in home groups, talk about what does it look like? What does it look like to really deal with your sin, to not get caught up in the guilt and caught up in the darkness, to learn to hate it and to see it for what it's for, but then to walk in light and truth as Jesus invites you into a relationship because he does raise again, because he does walk with us, and he does live with us again. Talk about that tonight in your home groups and begin to think about what does it look like to believe that what he said is what he's done. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week at the wall.